So does anybody, does anybody remember that song? No, oh, I'm, so, I'm so glad. It's, it's definitely old school, but I, I love that song. It, it uh, obviously dates me. That, that song and that video, believe it or not, this will make you feel old if you don't already, is 30 years old. 1992. Now, if you looked at the haircuts and the, and the styles, you could probably pick up that it was probably late 80s or early 90s. Um, I love that song, and I don't have proof of this. I don't have any inside information, but I absolutely believe that the inspiration for that song came from our text today, from uh, Acts chapter 13. Um, and so I have a question for you. Are, you. are you ready for your own great adventure? Or as Stephen Curtis put it, are you ready for the greatest journey the human heart has ever seen? That's, that's where we're going today, church. Um, <clears throat> if you're visiting with us today, my name is Kirk. I'm an elder, and I have the privilege a couple times a year to, uh, to deliver a Sunday morning sermon. Our, our regular teaching elder, Mike Hubbard, is off today as his daughter is getting married. So our blessings and our thoughts are with them for that joyful occasion. Uh, but if you've been hanging out with us in recent weeks... You know that we've been working through this book of Acts, which is the incredible story of the birth of the church, right? Uh, and the miraculous ways that God uh, allowed his gospel to spread throughout the entire known world of the first century. And it's, it's an incredible story. It's, it literally reads like an adventure movie script. Um, we've seen... Uh, things we've seen miracles. We've seen there's some murder in this story. We've seen prison breaks. We've seen narrow escapes. It is an adventure story, and the best part is that it is all true. Um, so we're calling this series on Acts to be continued. In case you didn't notice that, um, but and that's kind of reminiscent of the old 1960s TV series Batman where literally every week, uh, Batman and Robin would find themselves in some predicament that looks, no way they're getting out of this one. And I'm, I was just amazed that they had this incredible knack of getting into these predicaments at about the 28-minute mark of a 30-minute episode. Every week, that's the way it worked. And they would freeze the action and come across the screen to be continued, and a really cool voiceover guy would say, uh, Tune in next time. Same bat time, same bat channel. You probably remember that if you've been around from the 60s. And then the next week, they would start the next week's episode with previously on Batman. And they'd kind of go back and they'd say, see how they get out of that predicament. And only to find themselves in another predicament. So this morning, I'll start us by saying previously in Acts. We finished last week looking at the first three verses of chapter 13. And the church at Antioch in Syria was launching Barnabas and Saul on the very first ever missionary trip, the very first missionary journey. So today we will uh, pick up with verse 4 and work through the rest of the chapter. So I'm going to tell you to saddle up, uh, grab your Bible, or find your Bible app. If you don't have a Bible, as always, we have some at the ends of the rows here in the auditorium. Uh, those are our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that home with you. Um, and now listen to our excellent voiceover guy as, he, as you hear the, 
uh, our text for this morning, Acts chapter 13, verse 4 through 52. It's a, long, it's a long part of this adventure story, but listen to this. Acts 13, verses 4 through 52. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing this course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, 
sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy 
and with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Well, the adventure continues, right? Today, we start with them being confronted on their missionary journey by a sorcerer, a man Paul says is the son of the devil. In the middle, we have this incredible sermon. In fact, it's the longest sermon we have on record uh, from, from the greatest missionary that ever lived, the Apostle Paul. And it ends with him getting kicked out of the city, probably roughly, and uh, thrown out to head to another place. The, uh, the adventure continues. You see, this, uh, I think what we're going to see from our text today, what I hope we see from our text today, <clears throat> is that this text gives us a blueprint today to continue the mission, right? So the, the title of our sermon series, To Be Continued, really isn't a shout out to Batman, okay? I'm going to just confess that. The, the title is a reminder that this amazing story is literally to be continued through us as we live on mission. And so what we're going to look at today is this blueprint that we'll see in this text on how we can live on mission, that is living out the purpose for which we were created. And uh, that, so that's, that's where we're going. Uh, we know from last week <clears throat> that this adventure starts in Antioch, which is modern-day Syria. And I'm going to actually go back and look at a couple verses from last week to start our, our conversation today. Um, the first step to being prepared. Paul and Barnabas were prepared. That's the, that's the first point I want to make. They were prepared to be on mission. And the first step to being prepared is to know your purpose. Last week we looked in verse 2 where Luke tells us, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Barnabas and Saul, church, they knew exactly what their mission was. They knew their calling. They knew their purpose in life. <clears throat> now, they may not have known at that point in time exactly where they were going. They certainly didn't know what they might encounter on this crazy trip uh, or how they would be treated, but they did know their purpose. And I, I want us to camp on that thought for just a minute. I think that knowing your purpose in life is foundational to us being able to live on mission today. <clears throat> so whether you're a, a, a follower of Jesus today or whether you're just kind of checking out the whole Christianity thing, or you're uncertain, I want you to know that you were created on purpose and for a purpose. Now that'll sound familiar to some of you. Um, if you were unable to attend our family mission trip to Charleston in June, you missed out on getting one of these t-shirts. It says, I was created on purpose for a purpose, and it cites Colossians 1.16. <clears throat> Colossians 1.16 says, all things were created through him and for him. That is to say, all things, everything, including you and me, <clears throat> whether you trust Jesus today or not, all things were created for his honor, for his praise, for his glory. And if we are going to live on mission and fulfill the purpose for which we were created, we have to remember this. And here's the first hint that... Uh, Maybe this inspired Stephen Curtis Chapman. It, one of the lyrics in his song says, this is what we were created for. Maybe you remember hearing that in his song. In verse 3, again from last week, we see more preparation. Luke tells us that they fasted and prayed and laid hands before they sent them off. And these prayers were critical to prepare for the trip because it, <clears throat> only through prayer can we 
align ourselves with the Holy Spirit and, and God's will. Barnabas and Saul knew, and the church of Antioch knew, that they would not be prepared unless they were prayed up. So it begs the question for us, if we're going to live on mission today, how silly is it for us to think that we could enter our mission field, that we could enter Elk Trail subdivision that we've already prayed for today, uh, that we could enter our mission field, also known as my workplace or my school or my sports team or my mom's group, wherever it is that you find yourself is your mission field, and how silly that we should think we could enter that mission field without being prayed up. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says to, tells us to pray without ceasing. Think about that. To be in a constant state of prayer. Now, I am not uh, a big movie buff. Uh, if you know Hubbard, uh, he has a quote from every movie ever made, I think. He, he, he's, a, he's a movie guy. I'm not, but if there's a comedy, uh, sometimes the more sophomoric comedy, the better. Or if there's a war movie, it'll, it'll catch my attention. Um, in 2016, a movie came out produced by Mel Gibson called uh, Hacksaw Ridge. I don't know, anybody see that movie? Yeah, it's, it's a war movie. And uh, it was based on the true story of a guy named Desmond Doss. And Desmond Doss was a devout Seventh-day Adventist, found himself in the army during World War II. But he was a pacifist. And he refused to even carry a weapon, much less be in a position where he would actually take someone's life. So he became a medic, a field medic. And the story, the movie goes into the details how he was chastised, he was called a coward, he was almost kicked out of the army on a psychiatric discharge. But this story, this movie centers on this particular battle in the fight for Okinawa at a place that became known as Hacksaw Ridge. And I won't go into the details of the battle. It's a, it's a, it's a Mel Gibson movie. It's graphic. Um, but basically, private medic Desmond Doss repeatedly risked his own life by returning to the active battlefield to drag wounded soldiers to safety. And, and this battle stretches over several days. I don't recall exactly how long this battle lasted. But the movie goes into great deal, detail to point out that every morning before they would mount another assault on this ridge that they were trying to take away from the Japanese, Desmond Doss was praying. And it, they actually made a little bit of a comedic moment in the, in the movie where the, at one point the commander of the forces was kind of looking at his watch like, we got to get going, we got to get, but none of the soldiers, having seen the impact of Desmond Doss on the battlefield and his prayers, they didn't want to go to the battle without him until he was prayed up. And church, there's a message in there for us. If we are going to be on mission, we have to be prayed up. Could you imagine what might happen in our community? They, they made a great deal out of the, out of the, in the movie of Desmond Doss on the battlefield, and the bullets are whizzing by, and, and, and he's hearing the cries of, of wounded comrades laying out there, and he prays, Lord, just give me one more. Help me find one more. Let me save one more. True story, he drug 75 men off of that battlefield and saved their lives. What would it be like 
If every morning we said, Lord, just give me one more. Who can I talk to today about the love that you have for us, about the saving love, the saving grace of Jesus? What would our world look like? So in Luke, or in verse chapter 4, Luke tells us that they were sent out by the Holy Spirit with Holy Spirit power. Church, that same Holy Spirit power that powered this incredible journey is available to you and me every day. All we have to do is pray and ask for it. So they head off. Their first stop is Seleucia. There might, I don't know, Mike, if you can put up the map, which is a Mediterranean port on the eastern end of the city of Cyprus. And we don't really know exactly why they chose to go to Cyprus, although we do know that that's the island that Barnabas was from. So it's likely that he said, hey, let's go to my island. I'll see some uh, relatives, perhaps, and we can share the gospel to my people. So perhaps that was the attraction. And Cyprus is an island there. Uh, you can see in the, lo- in the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea, it's about 90 miles long. And and we're told that they began to preach in the Jewish synagogues and that they, were, uh, they had John there to assist them. Uh, and uh, this is a guy that's also known as Mark, John Mark. And we'll hear a little bit more about him. But he was a young man at this time. He went on to be the author of the Gospel of Mark. Um, so they preached their way across the island. And as we heard our excellent voiceover voice, Eric, thank you for that work that you do every week. Um, tell us that they they got to the city of Paphos. And now, Paphos was a city where a guy uh, that was deemed to be the proconsul lived. This is sort of the uh, provincial governor of of the entire island of of, uh, Cyprus. And uh, his name was Sergius Paulus, as as we heard and saw. Now, Paphos was also a city uh, that was, well, well, where immorality reigned. Uh, it, was a, it was infamous for its worship of the goddess Venus, which is the goddess of sexual love. Uh, and it was said that the religion of this region is literally the deification of lust. So this city had to be a mess. It had to be something of a hellhole. And, and Barnabas and Saul are preaching, and the proconsul hears about their message and says, I want to hear that message. Get these guys here to my, to my mansion or wherever. I want them to preach to me. So they, they show up, and, and this is a big deal. This would sort of be like uh, Mike Hubbard preaching in maybe Las Vegas or Sin City, right? And the governor of Nevada saying, I want to hear this guy preach. So this was a big deal. And they get to Sergius Paulus, and they discover he's got kind of a wingman. And we hear about this character named Elimaeus. Uh, he's, his given name was Bar-Jesus, which is, ironically means son of salvation. But he was also known as Elimaeus. He was a, he was a sorcerer. He was, he was involved in the dark arts. He was you know, part magician, uh, part false prophet. And he made his living, quite frankly, on these magic tricks and, and false prophets. And he was literally trying to get Paul's, prevent Paul's message from reaching Sergius Paulus, the governor, the proconsul. He was, he was ridiculing Paul. He was trying to debate him. He was literally trying to prevent the salvation of this governor. Now, church, it, it's one thing to choose for yourself 
to turn away or to reject the gospel, but it is a heavy sin to draw someone else away with you, either by your words or by your example. And in this case, that's exactly what Elimaeus was trying to do. Um, he was trying to reject the gospel in Sergius Paulus, mainly for his own personal gain. Sergius Paulus was probably his meal ticket. And here we see what I'm calling point number two on how this is an example of how we need to live on mission or how, what we will need to do to live on mission. And that is Saul acted boldly and he stood firm against the rebuke of Elimaeus. I mean, sometimes when we are in gospel conversations and someone puts up a, an argument of, uh, of, against our, our belief, man, how often do we fold our tent, turn tail, and run? Uh, Saul acted boldly, standing firm in the face of, of this opposition that Paul said he was, this sorcerer was literally from the devil. And in this case, the result was salvation, eternal life for Sergius Paulus. Luke tells us the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the word. Now, one of the things that Paul did there was he called God's judgment down on Elimaeus. And who cannot help but kind of get a little bit of a chuckle on the judgment he pulled down on Elimaeus was blindness, right? Remember Paul's story? He was stricken with blindness when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Um, but Luke tells us that he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord, telling us that it was both this miraculous calling down of God's judgment and Paul's teaching his words that made Sergius Paulus respond to the gospel. Now we notice something else in the text right here. This is where Saul changes his reference to, or excuse me, uh, Luke, the author, changes his reference to Saul from Saul to calling him Paul. Same guy. Paul was both Jewish and a Roman citizen. And he had a Jewish name, Saul, and he also had the name Paul, which is more of his Gentile relatable name, his Roman name, his Greek name, if you would. And some, some theologians think that this, the reason Luke makes this transition at this point, after he just led uh, Sergius Paulus to Christ, is that his ministry to the Gentiles is now fully established, that Paul is preaching to the Gentiles. Um, so now they set sail for a town called Perga, which is on the southern Mediterranean coast of, a, of what is today known as Turkey. And again, we're not really told why. There are some historical theologians that think that Sergius Paulus, who just got saved, had family members in this region and asked them if they would go there and give this good news to his family. We don't know that for sure. But for whatever reason, they went to, to, to Perga. And for whatever reason, at this point in time, John Mark, this young man that's assisting them on this trip, decides, I'm out. I've had enough. And he says, I'm leaving. I'm going back to Jerusalem. And we're not told why. There's lots of different theories that we, that we don't need to go into today. But just know... Uh, this will surface again in, in a couple of chapters and cause friction. It'll actually cause a parting of company between uh, Paul and Barnabas. Um, so uh, from Perga, they travel about 100 miles north, and this is a really heavily mountainous region. Um, in 100 miles, they go up about 4,000 feet in elevation almost, and they come to this city called Antioch. 
And it's in a region called Pisidia, not the same Antioch that they were sent from back in Syria, but Antioch in Pisidia. And they were told that they went into the Sabbath, into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and they sat down. Now, you have to understand a little bit about the rhythm of a Jewish synagogue Sabbath day service. Um, they would first usually recite the Shema, which is found in Deuteronomy 6. Then they would have some prayers or blessings. And then they would read something from the law, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. And then they would read something from the prophets, which makes up the majority of the second half of the Old Testament. And then the scriptures tell us if there was an educated man present, they would be invited to speak a word. What word do you have for our people? And on this day, Paul was that educated man. We all remember he was a a very learned Pharisee. He knew uh, the Jewish faith inside and out, and he had the privilege of addressing this group on this Sunday morning. And uh, what we see there, what, what we heard, is the longest word-for-word sermon that we have in Scripture that, that Paul gave. Luke gives us this sermon pretty much word-for-word. And uh, this is the, the next example of being bold. This is the next point that Paul uses this time to con- contextualize the gospel. Now, big word, contextualize, what does that mean? It simply means to share the story of Jesus in a context that the listener can relate to. In this case, Paul was in the synagogue. These people knew the Old Testament inside and out, as he did. So he preached, and I, and I asked Eric to include that long sermon because I wanted us to hear He preached how the Old Testament, everything in it, pointed to Jesus, pointed forward to Jesus. He gave the history of Israel, the patriarchs, their their time in captivity, their wandering in the wilderness, their conquest of the promised land, the time spent under the rule of the judges, and then when they begged for a king, the creation of the monarchy, when God gave them Saul first and then David. And then he comes to the line of David, through which God promises a Savior. And he showed them how all of this pointed to Jesus. He told them about Jesus' unjust trial and his crucifixion and his resurrection. And he let them know that this this group in this synagogue that was both Jew and Gentile in this room, he let them know that there were eyewitnesses to this resurrection alive and well right now. And he does this citing, again, contextualizing the gospel. He does this citing all these Old Testament references. He cites Psalm 2, chapter 2. He cites Isaiah, chapter 55. He cites Psalm, chapter 16. He is preaching in a context that is very familiar to his audience. Then, in verse 38 and 39, he says this. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers that through this man's forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The law of Moses was what governed their sense of right and wrong in the, in the, in the, Hebrew, in the Hebrew world. And just another clue, if you're keeping track of these clues, that Stephen Curtis really got into this passage one of the lyrics that we heard was, or that we didn't hear, was, I opened up my Bible and I read about me. 
It said, I'd been a prisoner, and God's grace has set me free. Friends, the very first step, if you're interested in taking this great adventure, the very first step is to place your trust in Jesus. The exact same offer Paul was making to that audience 2,000 years ago is available to each and every one of us today. And if you've never done that, if you're interested in learning more about what that really means, taking that first step on the greatest adventure a human heart will ever see, we'll have some people over here at the end of the service. Please come talk to us. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll pray with you. We'll help you understand what it means. Interestingly, this sermon had parts of it that that should perhaps sound familiar to you. It has a lot of similarities to a sermon that we've already heard in this book. It was a sermon that Stephen preached immediately prior to him being stoned to death. There are a lot of similarities. He walks through the history of the of the Hebrew nation. And uh, that sermon, uh, that stoning of Stephen was both attended to and approved by Paul, then known as Saul. So Paul gets through this sermon and the, the response is overwhelming, right? I mean, the, on their way out of the synagogue, Jews and Gentiles alike are crowding around Paul and Barnabas, and they're saying, we want, we want to hear more. We want to hear more. Would you come back next week? Please come back next week. So they did. And what happens? The scripture tells us the whole city showed up to hear this gospel. Now, you would think, what, what church leader wouldn't think that, hey, we had a guest speaker this week, and the next week the entire city shows up? Wouldn't that be cause for rejoicing? Wouldn't that be just make it just blow your mind? And what if the whole city of Eureka walked in this room or tried to get in this room next week? But sadly, that wasn't their response. They got jealous. Then who is this guy coming in? Now he's attracting the crowds that we couldn't. And they began trying to debate Paul. They were reviling him, the scripture tells us. And what does Paul respond with? Quotes the Old Testament, Isaiah. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You heard uh, Eric read his response that you have turned away from this message, so we are taking it to the Gentiles. And what was the response? The Gentiles went crazy. The Gentiles began to rejoice and, uh, and glorifying the Lord is what the, what the passage said. And many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Many people got saved. And suddenly, the scripture says that suddenly the good news of the gospel was spreading throughout the entire region. One sermon, maybe two, we don't know how far he got in that second week before they tried to shout him down. And the entire region, the gospel is spreading. And, and we will see in future chapters, look for this, every place Paul goes in his, on his missionary trips, he first goes to the synagogue and preaches there, and then he goes to the Gentiles. He's a well-established uh, practice here. So the impact of Paul's sermon made the Jews even more angry. So we get to verse 50, and it says, they incited the devout women in, in high standing, and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. Now think about that. I've, I've thought about this verse a fair amount. I'm not sure why they 
felt the need to go to the devout women in high standing first to incite this persecution. Uh, maybe, they, maybe this was the birth of that saying, if mama ain't happy, nobody happy. Yeah, let's get the women fired up and the men folk will take action. That's, you know, uh, I don't know. But think about this. The most well-placed, the most religious people of the area ran them off physically, probably roughly, we're not told entirely, kicked them out of the city. Church, in, in, in my life, when I started a gospel conversation with someone and talked about trusting Jesus, the most common response I've received in, in my journey like that is, oh, well, I'm Methodist, or I'm Baptist, or I'm Catholic, or I'm Lutheran. And they kind of expect that to uh, satisfy me or to kind of help me. Maybe that'll make them understand, you know, I'm, I'm good. I go, to, I go to this church. And what they're really doing is conflating religion with relationship. Friends, in our journey, don't, don't be deterred by that. Um, we probably have many, many religious church-going friends that don't know Jesus. And we have to not be deterred from our calling, from our purpose in life, the reason we were created, because someone says, I'm religious. The third point that we can take from this passage about living on mission is to trust the results to God. We know from this story that some will be interested, willing to listen, but may never take action. Think, think about the Jews at the synagogue. One week, they hear this tremendous sermon. They're interested. They're begging for more as they leave the synagogue, only to have their hearts hardened with jealousy a week later and driving the missionaries out. Church, we will, if we live on mission and we share Jesus in our mission field, we will encounter those who listen and never respond. That's okay. Keep living on mission and trust God for the results. We also see in this story that some people will oppose the gospel. Think back to Elimaeus. He was openly hostile to the gospel. And, and when we live on mission, if we are pursuing the purpose for which we were created, sooner or later... You, our message is going to be met with open opposition and even attacked. In fact, I think we can conclude that if we never encounter that direct opposition, maybe we would not be bold enough with our faith. I don't know. Expect opposition when you're living on mission. That's okay. Keep doing it. Keep living on mission. And thirdly, we'll see from this story that some will embrace the gospel. Think of the proconsul Sergius Paulus, saved for eternity. Think of all the Gentiles in Antioch and the, the explosion of the spread of the gospel that broke out in the region. Keep living on mission and trust God for the results. And also, I would say, trust God for his timing. Think about this. When Stephen preached that sermon just prior to the stones flying that would take his life. Two of the ears that heard that sermon belonged to Saul, who went on to become the greatest missionary in the history of the world. Trust God's timing. 
I've heard this trust of, in God's timing as being described or being compared to farming. You know, sometimes in our walk when we're talking with people and they know nothing about the gospel, we get to plant seeds. Sometimes in our journey, we'll come across people that they've heard this before, maybe they're thinking about it, and we get to water those seeds. And then sometimes God allows us to participate in the harvest. Oh, that's glorious. That's glorious. Church, when I was in college, my best friend was a guy named Andy. And uh, we were really close. We played football together. On the field, we were really close. He was a center and I was a quarterback. And so you get that. But off the field, we were roommates. We were fraternity brothers. We worked together in the, in the dining hall. Uh, we were just super close. And he grew up as a Catholic. I grew up as a Baptist. And I was, I was fairly faithful in my college days of getting to church on Sunday morning. And that did not go unnoticed by Andy. And uh, we had a couple of conversations that I, would, I thought were real gospel conversations. They were more faith conversations. Looking back, I think they were more talking about religion and which church you go to than a direct gospel conversation. And so we both graduated and went on our separate ways and uh, kind of grew apart. Um, I, will, I will tell you, though, that while we were in college, Andy was, uh, he was the life of every party. He was this big, strong, really handsome guy, deep blue eyes, and uh, many would refer to him as the campus chick magnet. No kidding. Um, and he lived the bachelor life. And after graduation, he got a job as a, a cosmetic salesman. Think about that. Um, and uh, he lived in Kansas City. We kind of grew apart. I heard from friends that his parties just got bigger and more extravagant as he climbed the corporate ladder at his, at his business. And then came word that uh, he was settling down. I got an invitation to be part of uh, uh, stand up at his wedding. And we, Jane and I were kind of surprised, but we were really thrilled at that. Fast forward a couple years, and uh, our, our alma mater football team was playing a game in Kansas City. And Andy invited Jane and I. They had a couple kids by then. Uh, he invited Jane and I to come and spend the night before the game with them and, and go to the game together. And while we were there, Andy says, uh, he says, hey, I want you to know something. He said, uh, we've been going to this church, and uh, a few months ago, I, I gave my heart to Jesus. And I thought, man. And I said, tell me, tell me more. How did, how did this happen? And he said, well, we got to this church, and I kind of liked the preacher. He likes football, so I kind of built a relationship with him. And one day, after church, he said, hey, Andy, can I come over to your house this afternoon? I got a couple things I want to talk to you. And he said, sure, come on over. And on the way home from church that day, he told Kim, his wife, he said, preacher's coming over to, to close the sale today. <laughs> and she said, what are you talking about? You know, he said, no, I'm serious. He's coming over, and quite frankly... If he doesn't try to close a sale, I'm going to be disappointed. And so, long story short, God closed the sale that day, and uh, Jesus and Jesus became uh, Andy's Lord and Savior. Fast forward. Well, when when he was telling me this story, I, I kind of got emotional, like I am right now. And and I said, and he said, "Man, what? What? Why is this? Why are you emotional?" And I said, "Well, I got." Two things. I got mixed emotions going on. One, I'm overjoyed that you're sharing this news with me. That's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. 
But two, I feel like, man, I let you down. I could have had that conversation with you back in college. And, and you could have enjoyed all these years as a child of the king. And man, I owe you an apology. And I'll never forget his response. He said, Kirk, no, 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 you got it wrong. He said, I knew where you stood back then. And you are the guy that got me thinking about my faith. But man, I was living the bachelor life. I was not ready. There's no way I would have accepted Jesus if you would have approached me the way this preacher did. The Holy Spirit hadn't done its work. The timing for his salvation, we have to trust to God. Fast forward a couple more years, and Andy's little brother John, who I know really well, who adored everything his big brother did, John got saved. John's family got saved. Andy now gets another promotion. He's the national sales manager for this huge cosmetic company. He moves to Florida, gets involved in his big church down there, and the, the story is off and running. His great adventure, living out the purpose for which he was called. And then about four years ago, I get a call, and I'm told that Andy had a massive heart attack the night before and passed away. Church, I'll tell you, I tell you that story because I don't know if it's me getting older or if it's the craziness I see our world, the way our world is going uh, with more and more blatant immorality, whatever it is in me, I feel a sense of urgency to live on mission. So and I, please hear me. I'm preaching this message as much or more to myself than anybody in this room. My flesh fights me on this every day. I've always got music going in my head, whether it's a great adventure or whatever it is. Um, I always have music going in my head. That's just the way God wired me. And I think of this old, also old song by DC Talk, Jesus Freak. Anybody remember that song? The words of that song are, what will people think if they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find out it's true? I don't really care if they label me a Jesus freak. There ain't no denying the truth. Friends, we are not promised tomorrow. I have no idea how long God has for me to spend on this earth, but I do know that when that time comes, I know where I'm heading. So more importantly, I have no idea how long on this, this earth is set aside for my lost friends. So again... If, you're ne if you've never trusted Jesus, today is the day you can take that first step toward that great adventure. And church, the path to everlasting joy is living out the purpose for which you created. I hope you'll consider taking that first step on this great adventure. In closing, and uh, I'll ask the band to come back to the stage now so we can lift our voices in worship and praise and again in just a moment. But the last couple of verses of this chapter, I think, kind of sum up what living on mission and experiencing this great adventure means for us today. <clears throat> the last two verses of the chapter, you remember, say, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them, and they went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Stephen Curtis Chapman 
said it this way. We're going to leave long-faced religion in a cloud of dust behind. I think he was referring to shaking the dust off of our feet and going on this great adventure. Remember, Luke tells us that they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit right after they had been run out of town. In the, in the movie reel that spins in my head, in the video that's going in my brain, I see this, this scene, right? And the camera's kind of a long way off, and it shows this angry mob grab, you know, with, with pushing uh, Paul and Barnabas and Luke and whoever else, in the, you know, roughing them up, getting them to the edge of town and shoving them out on this dusty road towards Iconium. And then the camera kind of starts to zoom in just a little bit more. And Paul and Barnabas shake the dust off their feet in defiance of that angry mob and signifying that they're moving on. They're going to share this message to others that will listen. And then the camera pans up to their faces and they look at each other and they bust out these great big grins. They're filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And if you think that this was an adventure in Antioch, Pisidia, they're headed to Iconium. And when they get to Iconium, well, to be continued. <laughs> Tune in next week, same Acts time, same Acts channel. Church, would you pray with me? <clears throat> Lord God, how we are so privileged to continue this story, that you invite each and every one of us into your mission into this great adventure. Father, I pray that we would wake up every morning like Private Doss. Who can you send to me today? Who can I share my faith with today, Lord God? We will trust the results to you. We will trust the harvest to you. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.